Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, February 7th. Only 30% of Calgarians approve of the job Mayor Jyoti Gondek is doing, and now there's a push to recall her through an online petition. Does the recall petition have merit? We get the thoughts of Stephen Carter, strategist and president of Decide Campaign. Next, a report out of Israel earlier this week claims a fifth of the hostages held by terrorist group Hamas have been killed. We discuss the impact these killings will have on the conflict now into its third month with Robert Hewish, professor of international development studies at Dalhousie University. And finally, what does the future of commerce look like and how could artificial intelligence revolutionize the way we do business? We tackle the topic with Kelly Keene, founder of MoneyWise Workplaces. Well, the man who launched a petition to recall Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek has until April 4th to collect 514,284 signatures. That's 540% of Calgary? No, 54% of Calgary. 540. 54, yeah, yes. 54. Uh, more than actually who voted in the past municipal election. Does this petition have merit and could it very much have an impact on Mayor Jody Gondek or is it just, you know, going through the motions? Joining us to discuss is Stephen Carter, president of Decide Campaigns. Good morning and welcome back to the program, Stephen. Well, thanks very much for having me. It's uh, it's very exciting to talk about recall politi- politics and the like. Yeah, well, that's that's where I want to start, Stephen, because I'm unaware of the whole process when it comes to recall. We don't hear about these things too often. Tell us about the protocols in place. Well, the protocols are all brand new. That's why you're not hearing about them. So this is the first time we've seen it activated. And it's really at almost an impossible level. Uh, You mentioned the numbers, the number of people who would have to sign it. It cost us $450,000 to get Jyoti Gondek elected. It took us uh, about nine months to do so. And uh, this petition is expecting to do it in in 60 days or expected to do it. That's like 9,000 signatures a day. I just don't see how any organization, uh, let alone a guy whose name no one knows, who has never been in the political frame before, uh, is expected to get 9,000 signatures a day. I mean, it's almost 13,000 total volunteer shifts that would be required to get this total number of uh, signatures. It's just not reasonable, and it feels more like a data collection exercise that it does a legitimate attack on uh, on Mayor Gondek. You're right, Stephen, and, and it's actually, they need more signatures than people who actually voted in the last municipal election. And and from what we understand from the mayor and from City Hall, this gentleman who launched the petition has never even reached out to the mayor herself to discuss any of the issues that he seems to be upset about. So, I mean, is there even a point to this? Why do we have this kind of legislation if it's almost impossible to to bring it to fruition? Oh, this is virtue signaling by the UCP. You know, they they create the legislation to say, see, we've got recall legislation, but there's no means to actually use it. Uh, And the reason that they don't want it to use is is not just in municipal politics, but of course the recall legislation applies to them as well. And they don't want to be recalled. Mm -hmm. They don't want anybody uh, collecting signatures and getting prepared for the next election. So this is a, it's, it's, fake legislation and this is a fake petition you know someone will will do it but if they if he gets over uh 20,000 signatures uh, i'll be shocked absolutely shocked yeah it, it's interesting and yes there is a clock there are parameters in place i'm just wondering from your standpoint Stephen, how significant are the issues cited in the petition singles issues like the single-use plastics bylaw and affordability concerns oh, affordability concern i think is very serious uh, but i think that the city council is trying to address that. Um, nonetheless, I mean, 
it, 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 anybody can launch one of these things for any reason that they want. Um, the reasons can be legitimate, but the process itself is not. So it, it's a difficult thing to kind of break down and figure out how it's going to be impacting uh, an elected mayor or an elected MLA or city councilor. Uh, Stephen, I wonder, I mean, to even attempt something like this, like, obviously, do you, is, do you have somebody behind you that's kind of pushing you to do it? Or do you think there's sort of, is there somebody behind this gentleman who started the petition? How do you feel about it? Or is this just one unhappy guy? I think that the only per, the only group that would ever begin something like this is a group that was based on ignorance. Because if you actually understand, like, let's say that this fails. Does that help or hurt Mayor Gondek, right? Um, given the numbers, given that we, we, we don't believe that it is possible to succeed, does this hurt her or help her? And it very well easily could help her because all of a sudden she's strong enough to withstand a recall petition. There's, this, this isn't a particularly well thought through political ploy. This is just something that some person seems to want to undertake. And it's kind of a shame that we... Uh, that we're so focused on it because it's just mm-hmm. something that that, that that is highly unlikely to happen in a world where we do have complex issues. I mean, I'd much rather be talking about uh, issues around crime and safety uh, in our downtown core or uh, issues of housing affordability. You know, let's talk about the issues that he's brought forward because those are legitimate issues. True. But the... The, the means to address them are, are is less than legitimate. And it just feels like sour grapes to me. I mean, okay, so you don't like the person who got elected, and you, maybe you didn't vote for that person. Well, that's too bad. That's how this process works, right? I mean, people get elected, and then in the next election, if you don't like them, they don't get elected again. But isn't that the way it should be as opposed to, oh, I don't like her, so I'm going to start a petition? Well, on every single time, I mean, I get... You know, I get people elected. This is what I do. And and when people complain about it, I'm like, okay, are you going to be a candidate? Do you want to put your name on the dotted line? We're, mm-hmm. You know, I, I listen to your callers, uh, not your callers, but the callers to the station. Mm-hmm. And you, you, just run. You know, it, it's it's five hundred dollars. Let's go. Yeah, it, it's so easy to get the signatures. It's so easy to put your name on the ballot. Um, bring your ideas. We're we're not. We're, you know. We need more good people in office. Yes. And if you think you're mm-hmm. that good person, go for it. Don't don't be bringing a, a petition site when we can have a conversation about real issues that really matter. I want to change the conversation a bit because we're speaking with Stephen Carter, president of Decide Campaigns. You can find out more about what Stephen does at decidecampaigns.com. Uh, and move the conversation provincially just before we let you go. Uh, looking provincially, <laughs> speculation that former Calgary mayor, Nahid Nenshi could have his eyes on the NDP leadership. Uh, what uh, would make Mr. Nenshi a good candidate to replace Rachel Notley? And does this, you know, speculation surprise you? The speculation does surprise me. I, I've never seen Nahid be that interested in provincial politics. But this is one of those times when good people have to, to take a look inside of themselves and determine whether or not they're the right person to, to stand up against Danielle Smith. Danielle continues to do things that she said she wouldn't do during the election. Uh, going after trans youth is one uh, a re- renewable uh, freeze that still hasn't been unfrozen is another. And if you stand against these things and standing forward and standing for office, as I mentioned in our, in our last moments there, uh, that's an essential part of our process. So if Nahed Nenshi thinks that he's got the answers uh, to Danielle Smith, and they do go back. They were in university together. We were all in university together uh, back in the day. 
And those debates would be uh, ferocious and fantastic. Stephen, you know, one thing that's come up over this whole discussion also is, you know, how much it costs for a person to run. Doesn't that, you know, we all complain, and, and I'm with that whole mindset of, you know, where are all the good people that, that we, we wish we could mm-hmm. see in politics? But it's so expensive to even be able to launch a campaign. Doesn't that sort of preclude so many people who might be better politicians? Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that if you run for city council, for example, people win with twenty-five, $35,000 budgets. And that sounds like a lot of money, but people people give a lot of money to candidates that are well-prepared and, and are, are fighting a good fight. There's a lot of donors out there. If you look at the returns from the, the elections, there's two or three candidates in every riding who do very well from donations. Uh, you don't have to run for the mayor's chair, which costs you know about a half a million dollars to run for uh, you can run for city council for $25,000, uh, $30,000, get yourself elected, build up a reputation, and then you can run for anything. You can run for school board trustee for about $10,000, $12,000, make a name for yourself. Th- th- these aren't huge numbers. I mean, yes, it does cost money, but they're, they're, if you've got profile in your community, if your community believes in you, and that's what, that's what elections are, does your community believe in you? Then your community should step up and be able to fund a a $10,000 school board campaign or or a $25,000 campaign for city council. These aren't insurmountable numbers if you choose to put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. Stephen, thanks for your time and your insight this morning. We appreciate it. Hey, it's a real pleasure to be on the show. Thanks so much. Stephen Carter, president of Decide Campaigns. Israeli intelligence says at least 32 of the remaining 136 hostages captured by Hamas in that brutal attack back on October 7th have died since the war began. Joining us to talk about this, all the latest on the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas is Robert Hewish, Associate Professor in International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. Hi, Robert. Thanks for being back with us. Appreciate your time. Hi, folks. Good morning to you. Pretty brutal report from Israeli intelligence, uh, believing they say now a, a number of more additional hostages have died. What's the latest from that report? Well, that's the case now, is that you're, you're now looking at over 30 hostages confirmed killed. The number could be higher uh, as well. And, and this shows a bit of a weakness on part of Israeli intelligence to really get a sense of where their hostages are, where they aren't, and exactly what's being asked for their exchange. Now, that's more of a political issue. But but we're seeing that at the beginning of this conflict, the fact that Hamas had Israeli hostages, that was the lead currency to do any sort of uh, move towards peace building or resolution of this conflict. Now that we're seeing that there is a significant loss of life, uncertainty about the rest who are still in Gaza, it's it's becoming a very confused situation, and and it's one that the Benjamin Netanyahu has, has really struggled with, uh, even going back as far as December, where you know he, he's come out with these these claims of of refusing to meet with moderators uh, from in Qatar with Doha, and then a few days later reneging on that and then sending uh, who was it? it was David Barnia, who was the head of Mossad over to actually do a, uh, a negotiation with, with, with Qatar. So it's confusing uh, in how Israel has sort of taken this, we will not negotiate, but then suddenly we do negotiate, and then also trying to get accountability and proof of life for those who are captive. Uh, when those are both put together, it makes a really volatile situation, 
because hostages in, in a conflict situation are sort of the prime currency, and it doesn't really sound like Israel has control of the situation in that way. Now, Robert, when we talk about this you know, grim story and, you know, one-fifth of the hostages now having perished in this conflict, is, is, is this something that is recent, or could these hostages have died weeks or even months ago? What do we know about the timing? Yeah, that's the other thing that's very unclear, is, is when uh, the hostages have been confirmed killed. The other question is, how were they killed, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions around here about by just the intensity of bombing that Israel has put into Gaza. The, the honest question to be asked is, have, have Israeli hostages been collateral damage in in that that method of warfare that's been that's been invoked in Gaza, and and the likelihood is is quite high if there's unaccountability of knowing where your people are, and to do such an aggressive bombing campaign that that's claimed uh, you know uh, we're we're all we're, we're really getting up to to uh, to new limits now. I think it's past fourteen thousand people who have wow. died in this. Uh, that just is going to be part of the equation, and again, it calls into question the strategy that we're seeing come out of Israel uh, and the Israeli Defense Forces on how to how to approach this conflict going forward. Uh, Robert, we've seen reports that, that indicate Hamas terrorists have moved back into parts of Gaza as the Israeli troops kind of move through and pull back. What's the latest on the fighting now in that area? So the real concern right now is still in the south, so getting towards the border with Egypt. That's where a lot of uh, displaced persons are. And it's where the Israeli Defense Forces continue to say that they have to go in there and continue to dismantle Hamas. Now, that's where it really gets tricky, because you are going to see the conflict continue to push on to, to civilians in that way. Uh, when, you, when we hear more stories that basically the, the Hamas is now flanking over previously uh, taken territory by Israeli Defense Forces, that's another concern, because the, the question is is what sort of networks and opportunities are coming with this Hamas presence that allow them to actually control that territory. Uh, one of the things we have to keep remembering here with with Hamas is that it's not just confined to Gaza. It does have international collaborators in other countries around the world that are financing and supplying it. And so the fact that they're they're still there uh, as as a presence shows that those networks are alive in some some capacity. We do know, Robert, and by the way, speaking with Robert Hewish, Associate Professor in International Development Studies from Dalhousie University, we know that, you know, the purpose of hostages, it's, it's super unfortunate. And again, as mentioned earlier, it's grim. But we know the purpose is for leverage. So what happens now that the Hamas terrorist group has lost a big chunk of their leverage? That's a good question. And it's something that, again, comes back to paying attention to some of the messages from Mr. Netanyahu, even though they're a bit muddled at times. And one of the things that, that, that Mr. Netanyahu has said is that Gaza will not be controlled going forward by Hamas or by Fatah, the, the governing authority in the West Bank. And then again, a few days later, kind of going back and saying, well, actually, there might be plans for Fatah and, and the Palestinian Authority to, to rule Gaza. Uh, it, it also doesn't really put Hamas in a position for long-term survival as, as being an occupying or governing force in Gaza. So the, the thing that now is really needs to be on the, the front burner for Israel is trying to account at least for the, the rest of the hostages, their locations, their whereabouts, their proof of life uh, in, in this way, because right now uh, that's probably the worst case scenario is that with an aggressive stance from Israel to say we are 
totally going to remove Hamas by force, not by negotiation. That could very quickly forfeit the lives of the remaining hostages. Robert, thanks for your continued thoughts on this topic. We'll we'll continue to watch it. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight at this point. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Great to talk to you as always. Appreciate it. Robert Hewish, Associate Professor in International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. What does the future of commerce look like and how could artificial intelligence revolutionize the way we do business? Joining us to discuss is Kelly Keene, founder of Money Wise Workplaces. Very good Wednesday morning to you, Kelly. Good morning, Sue and Andy. Great to be with you. Great to have you with us. Now, you've had the opportunity to flip through a, a, a new report. It was produced by Square. It's the annual Future of Commerce report revealing how businesses are shifting from survival to growth mode in 2024. Uh, what was your greatest takeaway looking through that report? Well, you know what, Andy, you know, kind of backing up, I think we have to really look at that. I think, and I think a lot of Calgarians would agree that businesses really are at the heart of our economy and, you know, how their growth uh, affects us. And when they improve automation or embrace innovation, it maybe saves us money. It maybe keeps prices uh, the same or it just saves us time and makes the experience so much more fun. So I think what really stood out in the report for me um, was, you know, obviously how many consumers are actually tightening their belt, 77% saying that they're going to spend less. So what that means is, you know, restaurants and retailers need to innovate, uh, but how much of them are? And actually 76% of consumers want restaurants to use AI if it's self-serve kiosks, if it's, you know, voice ordering technology. Uh, So, you know, retailers are looking at embracing AI and innovation and consumers are saying that they want it as well. That's a kind of a tough one though to manage, might it though be Kelly? Because it's it's got to be expensive to implement any type of new AI at the start. Maybe it pays off in the end, maybe it doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's you gotta you kinda have to go all in though, don't you? Well and Sue, here's where, you know, Square would say they're the solution to it. I mean uh, a lot of us uh, have an affinity towards them. Maybe in the old days, we went to a farmer's market and we had to carry cash because, you know, the smaller vendors didn't have merchant services. But companies like this offer the ecosystem that you can use credit cards and, and debit at, at even your, your smallest businesses where they used to have a cash-only sign. They allow them to use this AI and innovation at a fraction of the price if it's, you know, after pay, offering your clients buy now, pay later. Uh, there's so much that you can get because of companies like Square that you you would have had to invest on your own. So, yes, it sounds like it can be a lot, uh, but I think there's just, you know, just think about how we used to call up a restaurant to make a reservation. Who does that anymore? You know, we use technology and we don't even think about how much we're using it. Saves us time, keeps, you know, these retailers much more profitable. And, and Sue and, and Andy, like, this report as well revealed that 19 months out of the year, restaurants are actually operating at, at, a, at a staff shortage. So it's just something that companies really know they have to embrace to stay afloat, to stay profitable. Yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm wondering, yeah, Kelly, I know that you have the opportunity to speak with lots of business owners. Yeah. Um, and if you're deep in your business and you want to see it thriving, let's say I'm running Andy's Donut Shop, I want to <laughs> focus on the donuts. I perhaps have to focus on my staffing. Maybe I don't have time, the energy, or the expertise to know about this technology. So how do I go about juggling that and still keeping my business clicking? 
Well, I think you really need, and that's such a great point, right? You, Every small business owner, uh, even medium and larger size, are looking at, it, you know, making their product and service the best possible, best possible experience for their consumers. But, um, you know, that's where you need to shop around. You need to make sure that, like, what was available six months ago or not might be available today. And really looking at everything you can to make that end user experience better. Um, profitability, of course, as well. I mean, who walks into a bookstore today and doesn't feel, well, if you do, how many people walk into a bookstore? But as an example, uh, when I do, it's like, there's no prediction of what book I should buy or like we're just so used to as consumers having these, um, you know, automated uh, recommendations and things of that sort. Uh, all, all of the, this automation that we don't even think of as business owners that consumers want. So I think shopping around for platforms that are going to give this to you and your consumers seamlessly uh, is something that allows you, Andy, to phone, focus more on your donuts and making them extra, extra delicious. I think it's a good, you know, perspective, Kelly, because we, with AI, we hear so much. It's meant to scare us, right? It's oh, it's yeah. terrible. It's gonna, it's gonna kill jobs. It's gonna destroy everything. But in the end, you know, maybe if we can control it and and use it to its best advantage, it can be win win for all of us, right? Hundred percent, Sue. I mean, anything. You know, you take a, a like a knife, right? Put in the hands of a thief, it's horrible. Put in the hands of a surgeon, it saves lives. So, same with the internet, same with automation and AI. It can create such an incredible user experience. Suggest things that you haven't even thought about. That then makes the company more profitable, increases their sales. Uh, so, yes, I, I, it's here. Uh, why not utilize it? Why not lean into it? Why not use it for more efficiency? Um, because if not, then your competitor probably is. So how important, and I know that financially, uh, you, you are one of these people that if you have questions, you, you come on in and ask an expert. What about, you know, I'm not sure what experience you have in this, Kelly, what about a business coach? I, I think I've had some success, but I want to take it to the next level. How important is it for a business owner to talk to somebody who has either been there before yeah. or have much more knowledge when it comes to, you know, maybe some of the nuts and bolts of the finances? Such a great point, Andy. I mean, it's very isolating being a business owner. I can put my hand up to that. You're overwhelmed. You have so many hats that you're wearing. You're chief bottle washer. Um, so, yeah, maybe you can't afford a coach. I love that idea. I think everyone that can should. Maybe it's joining your local chamber of commerce. Maybe it's starting a little virtual mastermind group with like-minded business owners. Like, hey, what are you doing? What are you using? Um, and, and, and just starting a community because, yes, you have a lot of hats to wear. There isn't a lot of help out there other than what you're hiring. So creating that community if you can't actually afford the coaching. Um, but as Einstein said, you know, we can't solve a problem at the same level as created as we created it. We can't see what's out there. And, and guys, we know, right, like how fast technology is changing, how, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, who's using what app, what you're watching, what you're consuming. So having that community is very helpful. Love that, Andy. Great conversation, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us as always. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Sue and Andy. Take care. Kelly Keene, founder of Money Wise Workplaces. You can find out more at her website, Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, Kelly Keene, K-E-E-H-N. She didn't make it easy for us to spell her name. KellyKeene.com. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and what's interesting about this, I'd love to hear from you if you're a business owner, because I like to think of it as I have enough time keeping up with technology. 
period in my life. My kids are, you know, way ahead of me. But if I'm running a business, how do I know that this new piece of software, yeah. or maybe there's nine versions with different companies coming to the table with it, which one will work best, uh, you know, for my uh, business? Should I implement AI? I really don't want to lose sight of what I've been doing right, what people are coming to my service or product for to change it up too much that I chase people away or I lose focus in the quality of my product. Goes Fine down. line, right? You know, but we can't be scared of change, although no. we all are, me included, because <laughs> <laughs> it's here. And, you know, how do we use it to its full advantage and to our advantage, too? Yeah, let us know your thoughts if you're a business owner. How much have you been adopting it? Have you changed your business? Has technology aided or been more of a hassle? 403 974 8255. And I want to let you know about this Foothills Hospital Home Lottery.com website for you to go to. Uh, you hear me talking about it lots, and I don't want you to miss out because we've got a deadline looming. In just a couple of days, it'll be the deadline for the VIP prize in the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery. VIP prize is a gorgeous Land Rover or $85,000 cash in your pocket. The VIP prize deadline, midnight. This Friday, February 9th, more than 1,500 prizes are up for grabs again this time around. There's lots more luxury vehicles to be won, local international vacations, leisure packages, so much more, and including, of course, the absolutely beautiful $3 million show home out in Harmony plus hundred grand cash. Oh, a $1 million early bird, a Canmore condo too. Can't win any of them, though, if you don't get a ticket. FoothillsHospitalHomeLottery.com.